I met John in 1996. We were both in the marching band together in our high school. And he was one of the most tenacious people I had ever met. Also one of the most loud and proud people I had ever met. He, uh, he's got a, a great charisma about him. And uh, after we had graduated, I was lucky enough to be in a band with him where he perfected that charisma. One of the most talented percussionists I've ever come across and one of the most focused business people I've ever come across. So please welcome Johnny Bones. Um, okay, buddy. I've known you a while. Uh, where did it start? Man, we're getting right into it, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the first All right. question. All right, first question. Uh, where did it start? I mean, this really takes me back now. Going back to elementary school, introducing music mm -hmm. to the students, uh, very limited options to what we were able, what we had access to at that point. Um, and at the time it was the cool thing to do, you know, this is before band geeks were a thing. We were still too young to realize that it's a good point. Yeah. You know, we were the fifth graders. So we were the, we were the upperclassmen. Yeah. You got to school. Did you guys do flutophones or recorders? We did flutophones. We had yeah. flutophones in fourth grade. Yeah, me too. Uh, that, that was a requirement for everyone. Yeah. And, then, uh, anything, anyone who wanted to be in band in fifth grade was optional. You got to rent a horn. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And again, your... it, was, it was limited. We we had saxophone, trumpet, flute, clarinet. Yeah. And I, I think that actually may have been, there had to have been at least one more, uh, saxophone. Yeah. I saxophone, I said sax. Sax, clarinet, flute, trumpet. Maybe one of the brass instrument. Maybe. Uh, that sounds like the band when I was in fifth grade. I yeah. played the saxophone. One girl played a flute. That, one player yeah. or a couple played clarinet you know that's but the I smaller do. scale instruments i guess if you're a fifth grader you're probably not going to carry the tuba right right <laughs> and yet but so uh but at, of course i chose saxophone too i think i think a lot of drummers started off on saxophone seems that way point um what made you choose that it was just a cooler instrument for, to me yeah, I, I don't remember what what drew me to saxophone at the time. Just probably because it was cooler. I mean, because yeah. I knew I, I knew the song Tequila, and oh sure, I, I was really hyped that we were going to play that at the uh, recital concert, whatever mm -hmm. you called it back then. And my teacher would, wouldn't let me stand up from the seat and swing back and forth <laughs> on my horn. Okay, and I was really pissed off at that. And I was like, no, I want to fucking, I want to get up and and move Did around. You? Did you? No, no. Oh. I was uh I was still too timid at the time. This is this was before the birth of Johnny Bones. Fair enough. But Johnny the, Bones was the, not was not around yet. The star power was already in there if you wanted oh, to yeah. be dancing in front of everybody playing. And so if if we want to get into where it started, yeah. That was that was it where it started for okay. me in terms of like being a musician, you know. I started but off on sax in fifth grade. You don't just do music you are a very specific kind of performer that is that where kind of where you're driving 
that's kind of where, where I'm does, like I, yeah. I always feel like i am more than just a musician i'm an entertainer i'm a performer yeah uh this was i'm pretty sure this was also fifth grade i can't see this being younger but i'm pretty sure it was fifth grade talent show mm-hmm. um i lip sank to uh jailhouse rock by Elvis okay. presley and i showed up dressed <laughs> like elvis with the button-down shirt the dress slacks the buttons open and my chest hanging out um my mom drew on like the the big elvis sideburns nice and i did the whole dance and lip sync the whole song mm-hmm. and that was my first time at least as far as i can remember where i was on stage and got to perform for a group of people I had a positive that reaction on, i just oh yeah i just knew that i wanted to be a performer i should say i knew that i enjoyed being a performer at the time it still wasn't this is going to be my career this is my end goal right that right, wasn't right. you know at the time i was i wasn't an athlete but i was athletic you know mm-hmm. i was uh i guess we can categorize it as i was a combat fighter when i was younger you know so like right like what the kids yeah. maybe today are doing like jujitsu or mma yeah, stuff so it was all like martial arts and things like that kickboxing right. stuff like that yeah um but when that when that path for me kind of came to a pretty sudden halt uh because of a, uh, a a pair of unfortunate car accidents that i just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time uh two very serious car accidents within the span of three years i think yeah three three and a half years um my fighting career came to a, a very quick halt um so at the time you know music was just that was music your... band that was just a hobby that was something i did for fun mm-hmm. you know um the goal was to be a professional fighter be the next jean-claude van damme starring the next blood sport movie you know do shit like that i could but, see uh, that i could see that that came to a, a pretty sudden halt and right uh this this was before that, my senior year of college of um high, high school. schooler yeah so i'm at that i mean you know when you're at that point it's okay shit, i'm gonna be out of high school soon what's next mm-hmm. you know and that's kind of where the question mark um hung over my head for a while at that time as i um, think most kids had that have to transition yeah. from one place to another like that like it's yeah. sort of unsure yeah, I'm not going to say it's rare, but it's not as common when people, when kids graduate high school, go right into college and graduate in four years and oh yeah, no career with what their major was. It's like I totally mistrust those kids. Yeah, those kids are on an agenda, probably mm-hmm. not set forth by them. <laughs> right. Or you know, they're right. in a very powerful family that they've like already they're told this is what you're going to. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Different um, world. Yeah. Or different uh, conveyor belt. Yeah yeah and all right i i don't think though me getting into the music industry the entertainment industry was ever it was never a thought in my mind that's what i was going to end up doing mm-hmm. but uh you know we were just you know talking you about, were... talk about kids with other agendas my parents were very very supportive of me performing i think and... they could probably tell it's like yeah, okay that that's means... his fucking thing you yeah. know i, I know mean... You wanted to be a cop or you were going to study criminal yeah. justice? Uh, forensic science. My forensic first, science. My first okay. year of college, I was a forensic right. science major and mm-hmm. uh, had my first politics class. 
And I was like, yeah, this is uh, definitely not for me. People argue about this shit. <laughs> but but that was when that was when I had to figure it out because now I'm already in college. Well, going back real quick, mm-hmm. you know, after the call, oh, we'll bounce, we'll bounce oh, around, yeah, we'll, we'll bounce yeah. around. But uh, just to kind of give a quick timeline, uh, you know, after the car accidents for my senior year of high school, it did kind of hold me back from starting college when everyone else graduated, like everyone else from my grade graduated, because I couldn't get my license till about a year and a half later than I mm. should have. So I was a little behind, you know, mm. I, did go to, I went to community college first. No regrets right. on that. For any listeners, go to community college if you can. Save up some money. Get rid of your gen eds to go to university. Smart. I, I think it's a smart financial decision. There's nothing cuts, wrong going to a community college. Cuts that tuition bill down. Uh, it definitely does. You know, and also, uh, I was I was lucky. You know, we'll get into you know me getting into music uh-huh. at a, in a community college. We, I mean, Joe, you know the school very well as well. I went there. Community college. You were there. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. They had a great music department. You know, I, the educators they had yeah. were phenomenal. So mm-hmm. I was very lucky in that sense to be in a good place, you know, for my, what my major is. Because there's nothing worse than going to a school where their major is not like their top priority. I don't want to say priority, but like one of the, what they're known for. Yeah, if you're like, not going to learn something new from it, yeah, it, it's pretty crushing mm-hmm. when you get into that class and it's like, oh, this yeah. is going to be a thing. Yeah. So after I got into college and went and did the whole criminal justice thing for one semester, and I was like, yeah, this this really is not for me. Mm-hmm. I did one full semester of it. Uh, don't even know what the hell my grades were. I doubt I had any kind of passing grades that first semester. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I very quickly was like, well, what else do I want to major in? I had no other desires. I had no other passions. My only passions when I was younger, you know, early teen, preteen, teenager, was fighting mm-hmm. and then music it was the two things that i was good at you know right. my fighting career was cut very very short though i was a i was 16 years old when i was in my first car accident mm-hmm. uh which you know we'll probably get again we'll jump around and we'll get to it again later but suffered some serious head and brain injuries which obviously head and brain injuries i'm not gonna fucking get in the in the ring or in a cage and fight anymore yeah um so the only other thing that I was good at and I enjoyed doing was, you know, at the time, my only experience to band was band class in, you know, high school. Right. Sure. Good old Mr. Swoboda. R.I.P. Yeah, he, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you, did you go, we go to the same middle school? No, I don't. You went to Salk, right? I went to Salk. I had Mr. DeSantis. I went to Sandberg. I had uh, Mr. Ricky, mm-hmm. who was cool as shit and knew my grandfather. Nice. They used to play clubs on the shore together sometimes. Like, especially Cliffwood Beach back when there was like a heyday for it. It mm-hmm. was like a hop in town. So you could be an entertainer. And my grandfather worked five days a week, uh, like selling hot dogs off a cart. And he would play uh, gigs on the weekends. It's awesome. A small world. Small yeah. world. He was living in like uh, living in a cool part of t- of of time for being, right. you know, an, an employed musician, musician that could support right. a family. Right, right. But want to want to get more back onto the so your entertainer side of you. Mm-hmm. 
where do those guts come from to to be allowed to allow yourself to be seen like that because i don't know as if it's someone if it's... who doesn't have that in him mm -hmm. it's it's like that's the thing where does the where does that come from all right well i could start off by by saying this and you could vouch you i know you could vouch for this too oh as sure a musician but okay. not, just, not just a musician it could be anything you are always your own worst critic sure and to this day i'm still the my own worst critic mm -hmm. you know um i critique myself constantly even after being a performer now for well over 20 years and still doing it on a weekly basis on on a professional level you know somewhat professional whatever mm -hmm. you refer to it as you get paid um, but when i'm in the moment i'm not critiquing myself You're... okay i know what what my job is my job is to entertain my job is to perform and do the best that i can mm -hmm. i'm not trying to be the absolutely most amazing percussion i mean i'm going to be the most amazing percussionist <laughs> whenever i'm up on stage i'm not trying to be like the flashiest or the fastest right you know i'm going to i'm going to do what i know i'm good at and as long as i'm getting that reaction from whoever i'm playing for we'll call it the audience mm -hmm. the crowd and if i'm getting a positive reaction overall that's all that matters to me i can then go back and critique the little things here and there that me you know musically i right. i want to i want to improve on but that's where the like like you said the the guts comes from is that i just get this rush when i'm up there you know performing and i see i'm looking out into a crowd and i see that i'm putting a smile on people's faces i think it's it's the it's the it's how i what's the word i'm thinking of how i draw emotion uh -huh. from from audience, someone right you know and and real quick you know a little quick side topic uh side convo uh there was one time in my senior year of high school i got into the the high school musical first time i ever did theater was my senior year of high school my one year and only year i ever did it but i did my that was your only year that year only year i did it yeah was we it your favorite a, year Haha, I see what you did. Yeah. The, the musical was my favorite year, and I did have a leading role. You were excellent. Rookie Carroca. That's right. Played a, was it because you were the only kid in class that could roll your R's? No, I don't know. I think okay. I was just... I was. I mean, you were excellent in the role. Yeah. I was best fit for the part. Whoever cast a, that part was... Uh, the, the character was a retired boxer, mm -hmm. a re retired Filipino boxer, who became a chef, moved to Brooklyn, and married a Jewish woman. It's amazing. And uh, and I wore a pink apron and a chef's hat. <laughs> you were excellent in the part, and, and had the absolute worst Filipino accent. What, uh, whatever. I sounded yeah. more Russian than anything else, but whatever, it worked. Yeah, it's um, funny. But that same year, like obviously the musical, I got to sing, I got to dance. You know, it was upbeat, mm. and and it still has the story. It has its highs and its lows. But later on that year, they did these things called the the what one act plays. Sure, I remember those. And I wish I had the, gotten involved with them at the time, not knowing what, that, now knowing what they are. You know, in hindsight, I think this could have been a real pivotal moment for me too, in terms of being a performer. I don't recall the name of what the play was or the story that we were portraying, but the part that I played. Now, this is already after my first car accident. I had the summer prior to my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the second half of my senior year of high school, and I'm playing a lead role in this one-act play 
where my character is a high school student who was killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. uh, in the story, I was uh, I was in the theater. So the plot of the of the play takes place with my friends are all in the theater cleaning up on the stage, talking about right. me no longer being there. Mm -hmm. I'm there as a ghost. Mm -hmm. So talk about it's uh, pulling close to the strings. Yeah. yeah, uh, very very close close to the chest on this one. Um, it was obviously easy for me to pull legitimate emotion out of it yeah, because yeah. I literally just experienced, you know, something that knock on wood could have been, yeah, could have yeah. ended a lot worse than it did. I'm very lucky to be here right now to even still tell the story to this day. And I still, you know, I still say that, mm -hmm. um, but that part and being up on stage reciting my whole mom i had a long monologue at okay. one point towards the end of the of the scene when it was just me on stage nothing but a spotlight mm -hmm. and i had this long monologue about life and mm -hmm. when i was performing it in front of people i didn't purposely do this but i literally had every single person in that theater in tears i'm sure because they all and knew them you I mean, know. I, of course, was in tears, too, because it was just that was real emotion mm -hmm. uh, that I was putting out there. And, you know, every, everybody was in tears. And but I got such a high praise from playing that role mm -hmm. um, for that one night. Did you ever so, think of doing that again? Not that Peter? specific piece, but, uh, right, but yes, yeah, anything, you know, spoken word that doesn't I mean, have. Honestly, I, I I would never be opposed to it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've I've definitely learned to uh, enjoy speaking again. Because uh, for those listeners, also, I I is also podcast. I've mm -hmm. been podcasting for going on five years now. Oh gee, uh, quick shameless plug: my podcast network, Fourth Wall Pop Network. Check us out on all major podcast platforms. Mm -hmm. Um. But you know, if 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 an opportunity like that for me to act again came around, I mm -hmm. that's been one of my my mottos my whole life, especially after my accidents. Never pass up any kind of opportunity. Yeah. Have there been opportunities that I may have passed up for whatever reason? Yes. But when you know, and of course, when one door closes, another door opens. But I've always jumped on opportunity as much as I possibly can, especially in this industry, the entertainment industry, and. Where there's so lucky. few opportunities. There's so very yeah. few. So when you do get them, you jump on them. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to get some great opportunities to really get me to where I am today. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So who was the first musician then? Can you go back to the music side of things mm -hmm. that you really connected with or that was you were like, that's that's going to be like on my Mount Rushmore of musicians. Um, my first, like when it, when it got more serious, when it got more serious for me, it would have to be a, uh, a couple groups. It yeah. wasn't any, any one specific musician or drummer or artist, but, uh, to back up a little bit growing up, mm -hmm. I wasn't exposed to like current rock 
you know yeah no it um, seemed like you were really into hip-hop and the was, stuff that was on the pop channel I, that i most got, popular I got kids. into hip-hop and stuff because that's what the cool kids were right were listening right. to when i was in schools so i was yeah. really impressionable at the, you know when i was younger but like from my parents i grew up on like doo-wop and the 70s yeah and disco and, was there a lot of that with you your know. folks because i know there oh, was yeah. a lot of uh the italian kind of sinatra standard stuff you and know dominic the donkey but if they were pretty hip too huh they were but i would have to say going back to like that genre of music motown things like that yeah the temptations uh -huh. really did it for me sure you know uh even now as a musician looking back it's like wow i'm really happy i was exposed to them su at such an early early age mm -hmm. but at the time I, I didn't know that music and performing was what i wanted to do but I, at least i knew i was exposed to the temptations right but uh then fast forward into high school now i no longer play saxophone i'm now a drummer <laughs> right uh I, I drummed through middle school and now i joined the high school drum line old mm -hmm. high school obfp shout out to obfp <laughs> joey me and you were there man we were there we are very lucky to be a part of an organization oh yeah that uh that really knew how to produce drummers percussionists real musicians you know consistent we were lucky, yeah consistent yeah even to this day i mean we're both not trying to age us but we've known each other now since you can age us. 1997 96 97 96 97 we've known each other yeah so that's wow 96 6 16 20 i mean almost yeah long it's a time. long time yeah. long time bro uh, but it is that's also a long time for an organ organization to still run so successfully and still maintain their consistency yeah you know um but being part of that drum line i mean i'm gonna i'll shout out some of our educators you know we got to grow up with and and learn with and perform with guys like chris thatcher you that know, was a rob, pretty big highlight yeah of my rob, high school rob thatcher anthony cardinella colin bell chris marisak these are names that i will never ever ever forget like those five names mm. are very important in my life in my musical career because they were my real they were my educators you know mm. like when i had band class i had trumpet players as my band teachers right they weren't drummers or percussionists no they had the drummer week where they learned that there's a seven stroke exactly. role and how to figure out right yeah but well, they, they they knew the basics they knew the the paradiddle the ram but, the, the, the ramacue right things like that a flam but uh yeah it was uh it was like we got to go to a specialist school for percussion it was like being or, in a master class before master classes were cool yeah you know that's what it was and we were and that's i think and that's the key word being around those names i just mentioned and being part of that program from Obridge high school made it cool to be a drummer and i was like yeah wow, this really is cool like, you wouldn't get fucked with cool you wouldn't get fucked with nearly as much as some of the horn players who were really band geeky pretty much yeah get fucked with and thankfully my first year when they were still doing the purple and mm -hmm. white uniform like yep. the pit i guess the band had grown so much that year that they didn't have enough uniforms for the pit so mm -hmm. we got to wear like black bottoms and white tops that. and we yep. didn't have to like i was like thank god because yeah socially anxious like yeah. i don't i don't want anybody to i remember knowing that. what i'm doing and then yeah, the next yeah. year after it the uniforms got really cool looking so I was like, we got the ah. black ones with the shield yeah. and they had the the black shakos we had yeah. those like metal hats 
Mm. Oh with God! The, with the, yeah. the, the purple plume. Oh my Oof. God, man! But yeah, getting that was a, definitely a highlight of mine too. Is is being able to play with Chris because a lot of people that hung around the drum line after they graduated mm-hmm. didn't get to play alongside Chris, right? But even playing alongside Chris, you were very aware, like, okay, he's the guy at the top of the mountain, right? And if you want to be if you want to be better and get over your ego, you need to be trying to do what he's doing. And you and know, Kenny, and I, I forget Kenny. Kenny Holland. Kenny Holland he, he was huge too. He was huge in the same way with his hands, where I thought he was just like incredible. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe had a softer way of ed, like of, of of teaching someone, right? Because essentially. I think that's the strongest part about Old Bridge's program is, yeah, there's a guy in charge and he's got some techs with him, but then the kids, especially the upperclassmen, were really helping the underclassmen figure it all out. I also think that now this is, we could date them back to when the organization started back in 1995, when mm-hmm. our high school became Right. High school was two two high schools joined into one big campus. But that was around mid to late 90s is when the marching activity in general started to grow and become a lot more competitive. You know, things in drum corps and DCI, DCA, things were changing. You know, we Mm. we grew up during a very pivotal time in the marching activity. Yeah. Seemed like there was a boom there of, there was of you know interest for a long time. Yeah, you know, and uh, but again, it was cool. But now going back to your question about you know music or artists or whatever that influenced me, being in the drum line, we had a we literally this is back we used to have boom boxes. Oh yeah, we used to have a boom box in the back of the drum bus because back then we were too cool to be on the bus with the horn players. The drummers had our own bus. We had a boom box in the back of, of the bus before every competition. And Joe, you know, you're going to know exactly what three oh, sure. songs I'm going to know one of them songs that we would listen to before every competition. Redefine by Incubus. Okay. Sugar by System of a Down. Yeah. And then Fuck the Bullshit by 311. It's, it's the playlist changed a little bit by the time you were controlling the boom box because I always remember Duhast. Being very, very Dude, much gosh, played. What, what Romstein, did that come out? Yeah. Probably the 97. Probably around nine, that time. Yeah. No, because I remember when I was a freshman and, you know, Chris and Colin were still on the bus. So it was those three songs right. we listened to. You know, yeah, 311, were, really. Those were <laughs> our hype songs before every, uh, before every competition. And that was my first time being introduced to, like, that style of music. That mm-hmm. harder, heavier rock or even, like, that reggae style funk right. rock that you know with 311 311 mm. to this day is my favorite band incubus system are definitely up there on my at least my top 10 sure you know um but i would have to say next then going from being introduced to the temptations at a younger age and then 311 311 my good, favorite band love pretty big mix. music you know and mm-hmm. uh from having now this marching background the drummer from 311, Chad Sexton, coincidentally also has a marching background. So that right. I connected with him on that. Sure. Yeah. So I loved him as a drummer. I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. 
So that was kind of the the, the long way to get to my answer of your yes. question. I, I was just to play a game with the 311 stuff. Uh, I would try to find the rudiments mm-hmm. and his drum stuff and be like, okay, okay. You, you can hear him. I feel okay. you. I feel you with that flam drag, you know, like you're showing you, you've got some marching chops. So you graduate high school, you mm-hmm. get into college, you realize that you're not into the uh, forensic stuff. Mm-hmm. You focus more on music. You get to, to learn from a lot of jazz guys. Because most of the Brookdale staff, if I remember correctly, at least the ones I've met, were super jazz piano guys mm-hmm. or guitar player, bass player guys. But right. mainly they were jazz players. Mm-hmm. Did that, that must have steered you in a different direction because now you're listening to funk, you're listening to rock. So, I mean, jazz is kind of the next, if you're digging deeper, you're going to come across. Yeah. And going back to also what I said earlier about about just the uh, the faculty that we had there mm-hmm. uh, in community college, they were all from the gold, golden uh, age of jazz, mm-hmm. every one of them. You know, uh, we had Gary Mazzaropi, who played bass for Buddy Rich. We had Joe Accurso, who's who's performed with, uh, I'm pretty sure, the likes of like Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, uh, way back when, too, when he was younger. So we definitely had, um, and I say we jokes, because you were there, too, man. Sure, so, you yeah. know, I don't, I'm not leaving you out. Of I'm interviewing you. There. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but um, very lucky to have a great faculty. And I think a big thing with jazz was being introduced to improvisation. Yeah, that was a huge part of music. And also what really got me more invested was like I learned a lot of music theory uh, from doing from being in the drum line and mm-hmm. eventually going off and, and marching in drum quotes. We haven't gotten, gotten to the drum corps talk yet. True. But, you know, marching activity was a big part of my life for 18 years of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, it was a, so but I, I learned a lot about music theory and then uh, more so with like um rhythms and note values, yeah, what, things like what that. you're worried not so much like focused on like what what a drummer would need to know sure yeah, you're not gonna necessarily what, start off i learned them. how to read music from being in drumline in high school i didn't know how to read music when i was in i i, I knew uh-huh. basics on how to read music like in middle school but i really knew how to read and sight read in high school from being in the drumline um makes, but it makes then, sense being uh being introduced again to the uh the the jazz era and jazz music and they started introducing what did they call music theory it was called co- comprehensive musicianship right was the name they called it was just essentially music theory class yeah uh they offered that in high school i never th- that was an optional i never decided i never wanted to take it mm-hmm. i should have in hindsight i wish i did i wish i would have done a little bit more in high school and not started so late but um, I did really well in like the general music classes, you know, and stuff and the basic, basic theory classes in college where you pretty much had to be invited to take comprehensive musicianship when mm-hmm. it first became a class. And I was invited by Joe Accurso to take the class. And I was like, wow, all right, cool. I'm, I'm in. Mm-hmm. It was an honor at that point. Again, I'm, I'm a drummer who only knows marching band, you know. Yeah, but go, going back to your Brookdale days, I think a curso saw something in you. 
I think so too, and that that'll lead me into even more performances down the road. You know, yeah, to, because to how with the Brookdale Big Band? How many like that? How many students got to play on that stage? Not many. Yeah, Not I don't many. remember seeing that before you. Yeah, you know, I think few. he saw something in you. Was was a Curso like a Brooklyn kid? A Curso, he was. Uh, yes, yes, he was. Okay, maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he saw something special in you, and he uh, he had. I meant, like you said, play with the all these giants mm-hmm. in the band, in the you know, in the Brookdale big band and stuff. And yeah, yeah, I remember that when I used to play with the big band, I was the youngest, youngest person on stage. Yeah, and at the time, but these are and, monsters around you. You're, I mean, exactly. getting to play with these guys is. It's totally going to get make you who better. Have, who have yeah, people who have played with some of the, the jazz greats. I got to share the stage with on multiple occasions. Yeah. Um. But uh, but going back real quick to a curso, I definitely uh, had a lot of performance opportunities. You know, because of him, which again helped me love performing even more. Sure. Um, you, when you get a positive reaction out of it, yeah. Why not keep going? I mean, that's when you start to in in college. College is when I really started to expand what my performances were like. Obviously, in high school, my performances went from the band concerts, winter mm-hmm. concerts, spring concert, and then marching band competitions. Right. Mar- mar- real quick, marching band taught, obviously, we know that the activity is 80% visual, 20% music. <laughs> so the visual aspect was a big part of it, not just marching and moving my feet, but actually using my upper body to perform visuals that helped told a story that were part became part of, of our music. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really, you know, I was I felt cool doing like the lightning bolt and this, oh, this sure. visual and things like that. And I was like, this is pretty cool. But also concert, the, the band concerts, I was the guy that every holiday concert, whenever we played sleigh bells, I had my Santa hat on. Yeah, back, you would do that. Yeah. Jumping, jumping off of the drum riser to hit the whip. But it bum 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 crack boom boom. That was me. Yeah, I don't think anybody else would have challenged you for that part. I think you were no the perfect only... person to jump off a drum riser with a Santa hat on, cracking a whip. In time, I was offered to play other parts. I was offered I'm to play sure. other parts, but every yeah, I want I want to play. I wanted the whip crack. That was my part for the showman. In the band that you need for that that's, to sell that song. That's what it was. Because every it. time I did it, it made people laugh, and I and I loved that. Right. You know, you get that again. It it, it was just just positive reaction. Have you played that reaction? Have you played for a bad crowd? In my later years, yeah. I mean, yeah. We well, well Joe, we we've been there playing in our in our original band, and you play at a bar for two I people, s- the bartender, and a ham sandwich. Well. You know, I still think we won the ham sandwich over. The ham sandwich was our biggest fan. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I played for I played terrible shows when I was younger, to the point where there were people like, like trolling us and yelling at us to get the hell off the stage. But yeah, you're like 15 years old, and there's an 18 year old metalhead screaming at you to get off the stage because his band's going to be up next. That. That puts something in me, mm-hmm. uh, in that performer light. But then past that, 
I've really never had a bad crowd because at least I, I would focus on winning one person over. And then mm-hmm. if we won more than one person over, it was, it a, was bonus. Like a jackpot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so have you? I don't think we ever had a really rough crowd. Like, no. It, when we, like when in we those together, respects. I think no, but, but also, yeah. we, we were a very different style band. And we had a lot more people, which, yeah, you know, we, you had, gonna... we had a bigger band. We had yeah. a following that helps. So we never played a show with bands that were anything like us. So we, we were always different. Yeah. And because we were different, we never stuck out like, oh, this band doesn't belong on this card. No, we, we always belonged. We had a little bit of something from everywhere, yeah. you know, in terms and, of. And even if you didn't hear us play. If you ever go back and watch any of our videos that are floating on YouTube on mute, we were a perform. We performed. Yeah, there's a there was a, a, a an energy to it that we had without a doubt, energy, yeah. a huge energy. Yeah. So let's get into that stuff. So now you've okay. you've gotten your associates. You got your associates from Brookdale, right? I Correct. Think you, yes. You, after after three and a half years, hey, no shame in that game, son. <laughs> yeah. Some some people are. But, Again, yeah. that was the time where I changed my major three times. This is so real quick before we mm-hmm. get into what you're where you want to go next. So mm-hmm. I went from criminal justice to music education. Right. Um, but I at the time I unfortunately just had a situation where my counselor didn't really know how to help me and it wasn't Ooh. telling me to take the right classes I need to take. So I literally wasted like two semesters yeah. taking nonsense classes that I thought were fun, but meant uh-huh. nothing to my or, transcript in, in, in the bigger scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I was in music education, and then I realized I didn't want to do that. I just got back from tour uh, with the Jersey Surf Drum and Bugle Corps in 2003. Right. And I was like, I got to finish college. And now that's when I got to network and meet a lot more musicians that are... Right, sure. Um, same upbringing as me, you know, outside of like the Thatchers and the Bells and the, the, the Hollands that we knew, grew up with in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, wow, I want to, I got to see what else is out there. There was more out there than just, you know, what we knew. Sure. You know, Oldbridge Drumline and, you know, stuff like that. So get back from tour, had a very much, a very different discipline. And again, at the time I came back from tour, got introduced to world percussion, mm-hmm. uh, which well, I'm sure we'll on that, that, on that surf tour, right? Like on that where you sort of became, surf. yeah, or you were. We, you guys we had just, a drum solo? Yes. We'll, we'll circle back and we'll talk about it. Okay. I don't want to get off to I want to try and stay on one topic. I know it's yeah, yeah. off on the rails, but um so I, I did get introduced finally to world percussion, which is what I essentially became, and now I'm a professional percussionist. Mm-hmm. Um and also I got uh, introduced to even more music theory. Again, already with what I'm learning at Brookdale Community College, uh from the marching activity. I was like, you know what? Music theory is what I wanna I wanna study more. Mm-hmm. And I coincidentally found out that you could major in music theory. I said, "Oh, that's a thing. Let's fu- let's fucking go." Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, this is again oh three oh four. There weren't many colleges in New Jersey at the time. I had no desire to leave the state. I was going to okay. stay in Jersey. Uh, that offered theory as a major. It was Rowan University mm-hmm. or Montclair State University. Mm-hmm. At the time, Rowan University was known more for their music education program. Montclair was known for their theory program. It was a very well, well-known theory program. 
at the time was run uh, head by uh, Ting Ho, who was the head of the theory department. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was lucky. I applied for to Montclair State University, got in, got into the school, right? Not the not the music department, because mm-hmm. <laughs> here's, here's a story. I apply for Montclair. My application gets in where I just missed the cutoff for the last audition. Oh, okay. Department. So I now graduated from Brookdale with my associates. Uh, Montclair waived all of my gen eds when Mm -hmm. I transferred. So I literally was only going to take major related Mm -hmm. courses. I didn't have to go back and take math or English or things like that. Um, But I wasn't in the music department yet. So I was able to still start. I think I had like four credits my first semester. Right. I was in I was in symphonic band, I was in wind symphony, I was in the percussion ensemble and I took music history. I literally had one lecture course that okay. first semester at Montclair, which was awesome. Yeah. Was great. Uh and the whole point was okay, you know. Is he going to stick it out? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, they're like, you know, you want to be theory comp. Oh, well, this is when I found out that music theory Mm-hmm. Is is partnered with composition, and I'm like, well, I don't compose. They're like, well, you don't have a portfolio. I'm like, no, I don't write. I want to go in this more for theory. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, you're you perform, right? I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Well, audition for performance, get into the department, and then change your major. Okay, right. So I audition as a percussion performance major mm-hmm. in my second semester there, and I don't make it because <sighs> percussion performance isn't just playing your rudiments on a marching snare. No, no, no. It's It's it's... now. So now I go from very rudimental, very, very disciplined marching activity Mm -hmm. to learning about music theory from the jazz gods. Mm -hmm. But jazz theory is very different from classical theory. Yeah. And then I go to Montclair State University, which eventually uh, ultimately becomes the John J. Cowley School of Music, which is where Mm -hmm. I got my degree from was a classical school. So now I'm going for my classical, uh, for my classical training. So very different aspects of music. And when I get to Montclair now, I go to audition for a percussion performance. I have to play mallet instruments too. I got to right. play timpani. I knew how to play timpani. Yeah, I, I played timpani as if I was playing like a, a concert bass drum or a, right. or a, a marching of, snare, you know, yeah, a set of drum, uh, toms or something. And I did not know how to play mallet instruments. Again, going back to in hindsight, I wish I would have studied that more in high school when I had right. the opportunity. No, I'm not going to finally play that. I, I think that's a, that. a big misconception with a lot of uh, drummers that right. want to go farther with it is mm-hmm. that they can avoid the notes thing. Exactly. And the, the scales thing yep. and the piano and I for a long time I never really understood why that was so forced mm-hmm. till I learned I kind of learned to understand more about music as a whole and the fact right. that the piano is taking everything you can hear. Mm-hmm. So you that's the base for everything else. Yeah. And I can I can see why it's it's more like stressed especially on percussionists to up their game with the Exactly. And and I wish that, you know, like my band teachers pushed me a little bit more or just mm-hmm. percussion players in general. Hey, you know, you have to play these instruments as well. But regardless, I digress. So I audition for performance. Don't get in. Mm. Well, you're already a, a student at Montclair. 
you still got to take classes. So again, I took my second semester. I only had ensemble classes. Okay. Symphonic so you're band. still just playing. I'm just playing. Yeah. Sym symphonic band, wind symphony, the Harry Parch ensemble, mm -hmm. percussion ensemble. Maybe there was another, you know, another course in there, whatever. But mm -hmm. now during that semester, I start taking composition lessons so I can then go ahead and build a portfolio and audition for theory comp. What is so, the what is yeah. the composition lesson like? Because it seems to me like if what would it be like? Man, gotta go back now. My composition lessons I studied with um my composition teacher, Scott Richards. Uh he's a very big name on Broadway. Mm -hmm. uh, writes writes for a lot of uh, theatrical works, and I would just go to his office. His office was down in the basement. Sure. Well, uh, they had a, they had like a whole a whole row of uh, like a couple of random like labs, and then a bunch of mm -hmm. offices at the basement of the music building. Yeah, you might go down your there. Space. I would go to his office, and uh, we would just talk about styles of music, and um, we would get into like analyzing scores and things like okay. that. You know, stuff that you would do like in a theory class, analyzing mm -hmm. scores. We would we would get into talks about stuff we, like we learned in in jazz theory, the figured bass and things like that. Right. And then it's all right, cool. Now let's. And then now that's when he started to really pull my creativeness out. That's what um, I'm wondering. How, you know, like, yeah, because it seems very like, hard to teach. But I, I guess yeah. you would just here's an example of this motif, or you know, right. Sort of so an come idea. Up, come up with a theme. Come up with a motif or an ostinato, if you will. Right. For, you know, if you repeat right? something Rhythmically. so many times, it's going to make people feel, mm -hmm. you know, tense or something. Right. Okay. Like right. that kind of. Did he do that? Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, he he. I feel like it really had to be pulled out of me, but because at the time you and I were playing in an original band, mm -hmm. that was my that was my first experience of being involved in writing music right when we were writing original music so i kind of had that in the back of my head a little bit mm -hmm. i mean which is nothing like it is com you know compared to compositional writing like no, what no i was no. doing yeah. you know ultimately i ended up writing for fucking for symphonies for string quartets for choirs mm -hmm. you know for percussion ensembles things like that um but that scott richards was another fantastic teacher i was very lucky to have mm -hmm. um you know teaching me composition he helped me build a portfolio and i auditioned for theory comp and got in right on. so now i'm already i'm already in montclair as a student for a full year mm, not everybody major yet everybody loves you though you've been yep, playing everyone, your ass off likes me. you're playing your ass um, off I, yeah I was, I was a big hit with all and all the ensembles so mm -hmm. you know because at the time i was disciplined you know i practiced sure you know we, when you have that luxury and that capability of just going to a practice room whenever you want I, I took advantage of that, you know? Absolutely. Um, and then fast forward, after I finally get into the department, uh, the teacher for percussion ensemble, Mike Lipsy, who's another fantastic percussionist, happened to also be a a, a hand drummer, a hand percussionist, mm -hmm. which is now what I, what I was just exposed to back a couple of years prior from when I was on tour with the Jersey Surf. Right. Um... I'll get into that story real quick. So we're on tour, uh, and it was early on in the tour. One of I think one of our first stops. We were stopped in Connecticut, 
And uh, for our show that year, our show was called Down the Shore with the Jersey Surf. So it was a lot of like Surfer Girl, Under the Boardwalk, Hawaii Five O tunes like that we were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the drum solo in the show was based on Latin percussion. And one day this truck dropped off all these percussion instruments, congas and doombecks and cajones and djembes and shakers and all this percussion, like all these toys mm-hmm. you know, that what what drummers will call toys. Yeah, sure. You know? um, and I was just like so amazed that all these new instruments, I've seen them. I've probably tapped on them before, but never actually learned about it's them. like uh, Christmas Day, yeah. you know, for a drummer. All the instruments, they were all toka instruments, toka percussion. Mm-hmm. There's another is a, a Latin percussion company. And we're in Connecticut and we actually took a tour, not a tour. We went to toka headquarters for a master class. Nice. And there was a percussionist. Uh, his name is Kalani, K A L A N I. And he, he talked to us. Don't ask me what he talked about. I was just too okay. amazed at, at him playing. Yeah, because he he had two instruments in his hand, he had an afuche kabasa, okay, and he had a cowbell, mm-hmm. and he played two separate solos, one on just the kabasa, one mm-hmm. on nothing but a fucking cowbell, and I was like, how do you get that many sounds out of a cowbell? Mm-hmm. I was so amazed at sure. what I, what I saw, what I was being introduced to. After that, I got home. Told my parents that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That Christmas, I got my first congas, my first bongos, my first djembe. Yeah. And then uh, at the time, I, I hit up my my best friend, Joe. And I'm like, Joe, we need to start a band. I remember you hitting me up. Do you remember me telling you for about three months that it was a terrible idea and I'm yep. awful to be in a band with? All right. <laughs> Yo, I, I just remember. wanted to make sure I, I, that you knew how much I warned you before we, we went with it. But uh, yeah, we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into the, the Elysian days. Um, kind of, that was where the whole percussion thing stemmed from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, before we get into obviously, we're, we're jumping we could get into so it right now. But we could get into it if we're gonna go time wise, like chronologically. Yeah, because it makes sense. If you're in a hard rock band and you want to be a percussionist, there's really only a couple choices you have besides the tambourine. So you've right. got to be some sort of a hand drummer or, See, you know, that, that was my thing. I was self-taught mm-hmm. at the time I, I sure. on percussion. I, I knew what I learned when I was on tour for three, four months, right? That summer, two and a half, three months for the summer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, as a percussionist, now I have congas, I have a djembe, I got bongos. What the hell kind of music can we play? Mm-hmm. And I think a good way to describe our band uh elision i-l-l-i-s-i-o-n yep we were together for about six and a half years to just about seven years i think so um, yeah. we've had a few member changes but we were like a rap rock funk reggae band as much as you guys love 311 i loved punk rock mm-hmm. and mixing those two things which aren't totally different at times i think we kind of created something a little bit a little bit harder than like not harder in terms of technical technically but maybe sound wise Mm -hmm. more toward like the rage against the machine spectrum 
Well, when least... people when people would describe us, they would they would use use three eleven rage and pod okay. as bands to just to kind of uh, associate us. Yeah, with, and pod you know? probably at the time because that was the right at the time where we were time. doing things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, totally. Aaron's the uh, Aaron Hannon, Aaron Hannon, mm -hmm. the bass player, like had his the Red Hot Chili Peppers were his favorite mm -hmm. band. So you're gonna get that that funky flea style bass mm -hmm. and your brother Ray but at the time really coming out he of really the, came his metal his own. Yeah. yeah I think he came into his own as a drummer when we were in the band together yeah what I was swear that band I, he we was got, in before that miles from shore he was in that emo band yeah I, I hope my brother listens to this he was in that emo band miles from shore they were good they're good. They, 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 really they could good. write stuff and they could play. And you um, know what? Hmm. Before talk about influences, hmm. my brother also was a big influence on me. I would think that the the brotherly um even if it's friendly, that competition between there was I, I have didn't to say, have that? There was never competition with my brother and I. M my brother is five years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. he There's started, enough space there. He started to learn to be be a drummer or just learn about music studies because of me mm. followed in my footsteps but he he surpassed me by leaps and bounds on on drums in general i mean you guys I, I went to percussion but he's that's what i'm drummer, thinking maybe you know? that's what kept that uh rivalry from happening is because you 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 went more to toward percussion while while yeah, for a we, long we never time had any reason to compete you know yeah you were filling the sound up together yeah. as a team versus yeah who can and, be the better right i didn't mean to say you're just a drummer you're obviously more than just a drummer but you know you are a drum set player and i by no means am i'm not i don't play kit right um but anyway but he was the first one out of the two of us to be in a band and i got to go to some of his shows i'm like, oh that's kind of cool that's my mm -hmm. brother up there it's like yeah i want to be up there i enjoy being on stage i can that... do this too probably so good with that that entertainer fueling you like oh yeah. shit yeah so that was a big influence on me as well is uh okay. my, younger, my younger brother um i forgot that ray was in in bands before you decided yeah. uh you wanted to he do was, that he was in another band before uh graphic revolution the... why do i know these Rathic. band names wow that's right i remember I, that they used to rehearse in my in our our parents basement you know right. so i used to be home when they'd be rehearsing i know it's kind of cool to be here yeah but um, yeah, our band Elision was definitely a great way for me to get my feet wet. In I think we be, in being a percussionist. I didn't want to be your okay. You play percussion, you're gonna go play in a salsa band, mm -hmm. or you're gonna go play uh, in a big band and be one of you know twenty or thirty people up on stage. Like no, I want to do something different. Mm -hmm. I want to show that my traditional training but non-traditional approach to percussion can fit in multiple genres of music. Mm -hmm. And over the years, since we were in Elysian together, I've been in, I actually counted once, and I can't, don't ask me to list all the names of the bands or artists I've worked or played with, but I have been in, been or performed with 22, 23 different groups or artists. Mm-hmm since this is now what since 2004 we'll say because i was on four in 03 so 2004 <clears throat> we started mm -hmm. um that got and again it just blew up from there you know i'm go going to college 
to be a music theory composition major so I can then go to grad school, get my PhD in theory, and become a college professor. You did have... You were going to high, Brooklyn School of Music, I think. It, um, after Montclair, you had you had a path. I, set. I had plans. I had plans, but yeah. After I got my undergrad, I mean, again, I was again. My car accidents held me back from starting college when I wanted to. Right. I transferred schools. I changed my major three times. So I was in my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, when I was finally in a four year university. Mm -hmm. You know. And finally settling down in my major and now working towards my diploma. So by the time I got my diploma my, with my my bachelor's, I was like, eh, I think I'm good on going back to school right. for a while. Right. And I just got lucky where I started performing a lot more after college. Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, at this point, Elysian, we, we did, you know, we, we did break up. We had to go our separate ways. People move, people so there was up, a growing pains, you yeah. know, it was that awkwardness of, of post-college for, I mean, you guys, I think three of the three out of the four people in the band are now looking at life post-college. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to create, you know, some growing pains. You, yeah. your, your worlds are getting bigger. Mm -hmm. You're moving to, you know, farther away. Yeah. And uh, I don't regret any of it. No, not at all. Dude. Please. One one night I regret. One night I regret. Well, but beyond that, uh, I think we all learned how to be better musicians by being in that band. We Elysian had a song, and I don't remember now which song it was. But we had a line. It's about the journey, not the destination. On the rocks. That was on the rocks. Yeah, it was on a, the a rocks, slow one. Yeah. On the rocks was a big part of our band because sure. we had multiple band pictures of all of us on the rocks. Yeah, Cliffwood Beach. Yeah, it was a. I wish I, I still had that picture. I have tattooed on my arm. Life's a journey, not a destination. Mm -hmm. Because that was a lyric in one of our songs, I took that quote very close to my heart. Because wow. now this is after my car accidents, right? which we haven't gotten into details on that, but they were both near-death experiences for me. Mm. Uh, the second of the two accidents was worse than the first, and there was a chance I was not going to come out of it. Mm. And prior to the accidents, I was always looking at the end result. Right. After the accidents, and I was given another chance, which is also a tattoo on my arm, so there's another chance. Um, at life, I, that's when that quote really stuck with me. It's about the journey, not where I end up. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't care that I was in college till I was in my late twenties. I don't care that I changed majors three times. I don't care that I did it. Like I didn't do it like everyone else did. I did it my way and I have absolutely no regrets to what I did. Right. You know, I did it my way and I got the education I, I needed, I education that I wanted. I got the I did the networking that I needed and that I wanted, mm -hmm. made the friends that I needed and wanted. And I'm very happy with where I was. I have absolutely no regrets. Coincidentally, no regrets is also tattooed on me. Yeah. I Isn't remember it that. Crazy one. how all of these You uh, you take those words to heart. Yeah. It means something, or else I wouldn't have it branded on my body.
Right. You know, but anyway, I digress. I know you, I know we had an original question that I was answering and then we kind of went off on this, but it's um, okay. So let's see where, where, where have we got? I'd like now? to get into Harry Parch because this is a, a very, hmm. very specific thing that I don't think a lot of people that are going to listen to this probably know who Harry okay. Parch is. I was very lucky. Uh, when I got to Montclair State University at the time, this was back in 2006, mm-hmm. Harry, um, Montclair State University was the home of the Harry Parch Instrumentarium. For those of you that don't know who Harry Parch is, Harry Parch is a composer and inventor and, and musician uh, who passed away in 1974. Um, to not talk over people's heads that are not musicians listening to this right it can get a little nuts it it can get pretty nuts Mm. but um in in music there's tuning and temperament uh temperament dealing with the key of 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 a piece of music or the pitches and you know the tuning go they go hand in hand um tunings and temperaments are they vary all over the world in all different cultures, in Indian culture, in Asian culture, in Greek culture. Um, And there have been a a lot of scientists who have studied this uh, over the years. And this composer, inventor, and musician, Harry Parch, took a little bit from all of these different tunings and temperaments from around the world and kind of created his own. So... For musicians that are listening, we know that we listen to music based on the 12-tone series, but there's also also another temperament called expandable just intonation, where you can literally pull apart the interval between two notes and expand it to its most minute fraction of vibrations per second, mm-hmm. where you can now turn a an eight-note scale into a 43-note scale. Right. And that was what Harry Parch did. It's pretty um, wild. Like uh, you got to, you got to be really close with the uh, yes. What we curator? He yeah. So the person who ran the Harry Parch Ensemble and Instrumentarium at Montclair State University at the time was a guy by the name of Dean Drummond. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean Drummond was a percussionist uh, primarily also played trumpet and other instruments as well but he primarily mm-hmm. he was a percussionist and in the late 60s early 70s was a protege of harry parch he was one of like a small group of people that were proteges to harry parch mm-hmm. um the other name this is gonna bother me now dan lee mitchell was okay. the name of another musician that was a protege of harry parch when Parch passed away, Dan Lee Mitchell uh, had the, the I don't want to say ownership, but he was holding on to the instruments and uh-huh. the the portfolio, the music, the catalog of music and things like that. Um, I didn't mention that uh, for this music that Harry Parch invented, he had to build his own instruments right. to yeah. play this music. So he had string instruments keys uh a lot of percussion instruments a lot of percussion instruments built out of like bamboo tubes and crazy things that you that look like they belong in a museum but these were actual physical playable instruments that i've had the opportunity to actually play on everything right 
in the ensemble. And t- you were like the, the tuner, like you came yes. in and made sure everything was so was when, right. How did when, you do that? Well, when Danley Mitchell eventually couldn't host okay. the Parch ensemble, he he handed it over to Dean Drummond. Dean it took Dean a while to finally find the home at um at Monroe State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, also took Dean a while to introduce microtonal studies as a minor, right in. Montclair State. As well. Microtonal studies is sort of that study of what Harry Parch was doing with the Pretty taking much what he was doing the the the, the microtones and right. breaking down an eight tone scale to a forty three tone scale right. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when I was in college, when I, well, when I was in college, when I finally got to Montclair State, I was living mm-hmm. on campus. Now I wasn't working; I was just focusing on my education and graduating college. So I tra- tried to be as involved on campus as sure. I could. You know, I was a teacher's assistant for Dr. McCauley, who was the uh, conductor for the Wind Symphony, which is another person I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity to study under. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dean Drummond, I just became close with him as a friend. And he had a job posting for like a research assistant is what it was called. Someone mm-hmm. to kind of work with him in the office, kind of help keep up with the uh, the music library the parch music library mm-hmm. tune the instruments uh maintain the instruments and then you know get to learn a little bit more too working side by side with dean drummond sure um so that was another thing i was very lucky to have that opportunity to work with dean dean was a, a mentor to me he was more than just a professor he was a friend and a mentor to me mm-hmm. and i was very lucky to have um <clears throat> had the opportunity to have worked with him uh, Dean unfortunately did ultimately pass away uh, due to cancer back in 2012. Uh, it was a very, uh, very unfortunate time because I was still working with him even after I graduated. Mm-hmm. I would still go back and work with him, and then uh, just the phone calls stopped coming, and I didn't right. find out till weeks, weeks, weeks later that he had passed, mm-hmm. and I had no fucking idea. So, to the Parch <clears throat> instruments, uh, are they still on Montclair's campus? No, the uh, last I heard, uh, when I went to Montclair, there was another musician there named Chuck Corey, who I had the opportunity to perform with and study with as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chuck was the first person to ever minor in advanced microtonal studies, which was the music of Harry Parch. Okay. Um, He ended up having the rights and taking over the instrumentarium after Dean passed. Okay. He... It was still being housed in Montclair for about a year or two until at that point, Montclair State University said, hey, we will buy the instruments off of you mm-hmm. and put them up in a museum. And Chuck's like, okay. no, these things really? don't belong in a museum. These these musicians, th- these instruments need to still be played. Okay. The the whole point with any of us who studied Parch is to continue his legacy and keep the legacy of Parch going. Right. Not just to put the instruments in a museum. It's more mm-hmm. than that. So are they still being used today? They are. And I, be, I I don't know for sure. It's either in Washington or it's in a, at a college in California, but they're no longer on the East Coast. They are with Chuck Corey okay. out on the West Coast right now. Gotcha. Um, the Parch, as far as I know, the Parch Music Library does consist of one composition that I, I wrote that I had the opportunity to write for when I was in Montclair, and that's still part of their their, their repertoire to this What's day. What's the name of it? Another Something. 
another something and this is this is written in microtonal stuff mm-hmm. yep this might be a good specifically for uh for harry parch this could be a good uh, entrance to a lot of people who have no idea what the last 20 yeah. minutes have been about uh, pretty much uh because yeah you don't it's that that's really what it, a, a big part of you, you, there aren't a lot of people exposed to that idea right. you know you think of do re mi and that's yeah. That's and, everything. And that, that, that's music. Do re mi yeah. so la ti do. Yeah. And this music is not for everyone. It's no, not, it's, I could see to, some people just dreading it and hating yeah, it, but to, a, to the untrained ear, it doesn't sound like music, but it is. Yeah. No, I mean, it's don't art. get me wrong. Studying microtones fucked my 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 ear training. My oral my oral skills oh. are terrible. Well, you, there's a lot of uh, intervals that you you know had to deal uh, yep. with between those two you know, main strong notes or whatever they're mm-hmm. called. Yeah, but I, I think it's really unfortunate that not more musicians or at least music majors don't at least have the opportunity to be exposed to Harry Parch's work. Right. You know, at least I think music history classes, they always include the Gregorian chant. They always include include the golden age of jazz. Mm-hmm. I think music history in general across the board needs to, needs to talk about Harry Parch. Sure. I mean, he he broke you, new ground. Yeah. You know, they already talk about people like like uh, John Cage or mm-hmm. S- Steve Reich, you know, guys who wrote that abstract music, that music mm-hmm. that wasn't really. Is that music or is that not music? Right. Harry Parch, uh, Philip Glass, uh, Schoenberg, uh, Arnold Schoenberg, atonal music, you know, mm-hmm. Harry Parch can be included in that same conversation as well with his style of, of microtonal music. Well, hopefully I enough. I don't think enough musicians have the opportunity to know who Harry Parch was and mm-hmm. what he did for the for this industry. Well, hopefully, uh, the more people talk about him, the more it grows. And I mean, it's really interesting. Just you know, it may not be a song you're going to hum in the shower the next morning, enough. but uh, as as a, as a as a person that wants to make art mm-hmm. and make it make it interesting. Like that, that was a not thing to with, love. About that it. was a thing with Parch music. Also, Parch had this. Uh, he had a very distinct view on abstract music compared mm-hmm. to corporeality, corporeal music. You know, he wanted his music to tell a story and to mean something. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to write like Beethoven and Mozart to write these symphonies that is just music for the sake of music. Right. He wants to write something that's going to tell a story that you could actually have a visual behind the music mm-hmm. so if to get an idea of that for any listeners who are interested go to youtube search delusion of the fury it's the it was the last work that harry parch ever wrote before he passed uh back in the early 70s mm-hmm. it's a two or three part video on youtube but you'll have an idea of the sound of his music and what was being portrayed on stage as well with the dancing and the costumes things like that right so it was a whole visual and audio mm-hmm. deal, like all the time, or was yep. it M- most of the time? Most but of the time, his, but his music always told a story, right? As good music should mm-hmm. drive you somewhere, exactly. right? Yep. So you, now you get out of college. Mm-hmm. Now the rent starts coming. Now the bills start coming. Now you're a professional. You keep it going. 
the way I think a lot of musicians can keep it going in that you you ended up in a in a bunch of club acts doing covers mm -hmm. like cover tunes of top top 40 pop stuff well even, the, even before that though mm -hmm. even before that so i get out of college besides all that other stuff that comes into play mm -hmm. i was still figuring it out okay yeah. right, cool my original plan was to not graduate at the age of 28 with my bachelor's i wanted to be out a lot sooner than that you know hey the goal was to graduate before i turned 30 and i accomplished that right but i did not i had no idea where i was going to go next I literally was winging it. Uh, luckily enough to still live with my parents for a few years after I graduated, mm -hmm. about two or three years before I finally moved out with my brother. Um, but I was also lucky enough, though, even through college, where every aspect of my life was surrounded by music. Mm -hmm. I was going to school and studying music. I worked in a music instrument retail industry and worked for i was a store manager for a music instrument retail store mm -hmm. um for that was 16 years of my life you know yeah. i i now that i got done with my marching career as an actual person on the field marching i was now teaching middle school and high school students music mm -hmm. you know up to upwards of friggin 20 hours a week you know so three, a lot three of nights a week yeah a lot of time I devoted was, to that I was playing in a lot of original bands and now doing a lot of studio work being hired right. by artists you have, to record. You have a, a niche there that not a lot of people have. Right. Like you have the gear and yeah. the talent to come in and yeah, I had the, I had the gear opportunity arose. I would jump on and I would go do it. Mm -hmm. Um, also something else, but even going back real quick, when I was going to Montclair, uh, I think it was like my first or I think my second semester there, we were in the old music building. This is before it became the John J. Cowley School of Music. We were in the McEachern Music Building, yeah. and this guy walks in, dreadlocks, real hippie-looking dude, uh, and he's like, hey, are you a percussionist? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, I, I'm, I work over in the dance department as a mm. percussion accompanist, and we're looking for more percussionists. I, I, I actually need a sub. Mm -hmm. uh so also short the guy's name was alvaro perdomo uh him and i became very very close for a long time uh fantastic percussionist fantastic songwriter uh musician in general great mm -hmm. dude to be around very happy and lucky to also get to know him but that opened up new doors for me too where i now became a percussion accompanist for modern dance classes right. and also got to expand that into working you know off broadway and and you know accompanying these 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 big dance groups and stuff mm -hmm. and did that for a really long time you know i was i was like a full-time accompanist at montclair for a couple of years then i kind of would go back part-time then i would be a sub right but i was there for a long long time this is this is now pre-pandemic since pandemic i have not been back right um but also just i just don't have wouldn't have the time it's different to, to do it different different but, life now yeah but i had the opportunity again so out of college i was still doing all these things and everything i did was involved in music in some capacity mm -hmm. um and you know looking back also another thing i'm proud of is that i never just pinched pigeonholed myself into one aspect of music like okay i'm a rock and roll drummer 
or right. I'm going to be classically trained and only play classical music for the rest of my life. I did everything, mm-hmm. you know, at least that I that was uh, available to me. Right. And, you know, that's what I was happy about. I mean, at the, there was a moment, there was a time where I was playing in multiple original bands at the same time, plus doing freelance studio work, plus teaching, plus working music instrument retail. You know, I was just so much of it uh, was around was revolved around music. Mm-hmm. But I did all these things. But I'm like, OK, so now it's like, OK, well, where what is this all leading towards? Or am right. I just going to, I was enjoying the ride. I enjoyed the hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoyed not just having that one thing for a long, long, long time. I mean, back in my 20s, I could freaking go all night. I, I could play a club until 1, 2 in the morning and then wake up and go to work the next day at 7 a.m. and then go back and do it all over again the following night. Right. Back when I was younger. Um, but for a long time, too, I was in a lot of these bands some of them I felt like I really fit in perfectly. Some I was like, yeah, this isn't really, mm-hmm. I don't really fit in this. The band I'm currently in, which I still say that I'm in the band. We haven't played in a while because of the hey. pandemic, but uh, it's a band called Emergency Breakthrough. Been with mm-hmm. them since 2015. Uh, definitely uh, a lot of fun with these guys. All instrumental music, kind of like mm-hmm. a snarky puppy-esque, you know, jazz funk. Uh, a lot of uh, improv. Lots of that. Stuff, you know, right? Really cool instrumentation. Uh, had a lot of fun with those guys. We had some great nights, rehearsals uh, at this place called the Brick House, which it's not called the Brick House. We called it the Brick House because it was a brick building. Makes sense. We, we rehearsed that of. Yeah. Uh, great times with them though. But um, yeah. So I was just figuring figuring it all out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, at the time I was lucky enough, as I said earlier, to become a store manager, general manager for a music instrument retail store. And I was like, well, sort of a steady paycheck. Yeah. Steady paycheck benefits. This is my career. I'll be this, you know, right. this, this is what I'll do the rest of my life until I, until they didn't need me anymore. And I got laid off, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of 2018 mm-hmm. and, uh, that's time. When things really changed, you know, but I was like, yeah, Shit, now I don't have that. Uh, I also had just retired from teaching marching band and everything no longer did that activity mm-hmm. um i at the time i had just started i wasn't in emergency breakthrough yet so i wasn't really playing um but you mentioned cover bands and stuff i didn't really do a lot of the club scene with cover bands okay um but i did get into the cover music uh, my brother ray was drumming for this band called the replicants it right. was uh, at the at the time New Jersey's hottest party band mm. playing down in, in Atlantic City, the Jersey Shore, a lot of the clubs throughout New Jersey, tri-state area. I got to hop in a lot with them. Right. But right. the goal for that band was to get into the into weddings, into the wedding industry, which is sort of where you find yourself and now. That leads me to where yeah. I am today. This was now back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um. We, as a band, the Replicants, auditioned for a wedding uh, agency out in Long Island. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it went well. We all ended up working for the agency. But me being, again, a niche musician. There's an extra check area, to cut. Yeah. There's, you gonna... know, it's like either either I'm going to be pulled off of an event because they don't need that many musicians or mm-hmm. to make up for that. I can now get placed in this band to go get placed in this band. And I got to play with a lot of this company's bands right. for the first couple of years that I was there. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But then eventually when clients, meaning the bride and groom, would want that extra musician, it was either an extra vocalist or an extra horn player, not so much the percussionist. So I was going from like 50, 45 to 50 events a year to three or four a year. Right. This is now like 2017-ish, I guess we could say, 2017, 18. Mm. I would say actually probably 16, probably 2016, 17. There was like a good three years where I was not gigging as much at all. Yeah. Um. And because I wasn't gigging as much in, uh, uh, at the time, 2018 is when I got into podcasting. I said, well, I still want to perform and entertain people. That's... If I can't be on stage, let me do it behind a microphone. It's a logical wave, yeah, well, progressing. Um, but you did keep it going musically, and this is one of my favorite things about you is your ability to come up with jobs that didn't really exist before. As far, at least as far as I know it, mm-hmm. they didn't really exist before. You sort of create this job. So what you're doing now, and the labeling on it is is brilliant. Party percussionist. Yeah. So where you'll well, you'll play well, with like a DJ. Mm-hmm. So party percussion is an actual thing. It actually is a is a I don't want to call it a genre, but it is a um It's a job. It is a it, it's a job. <laughs> it's a title they, they do give specific percussionists. Like you could have a percussionist that goes on tour with Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. and plays with his band, you know, mm-hmm. or or um a percussionist that goes on tour with uh Lizzo or Santana, you know, these are right. percussionists who just play who are just a member of a bigger band. Right. Party percussion. You bring the party. Be sort of. Well, that's my slogan. You're gonna have to Okay, uh, I'm sorry. You're gonna have to send me a I thought it was a mission to my 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 slogan there. I thought it was a but, mission um, statement. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but the party percussion uh came about this actually dates back to now like the 1970s when they they started to uh, originally introduce live musicians playing with the dj and uh-huh. this was this was back when it was just saxophone mainly saxophone was the first instrument to ever be played with a dj where it was just a saxophone player and a dj hmm. so essentially playing to a backing track right um saxophone was very very popular for a very long time still is to this day to play with a dj but then what year are we in? We're in 2022. I'm going to say 2015 was the first year I ever had a gig where I was sent out to play with a DJ mm-hmm. and an electric violin player. So okay. percussion and violin were the only two live musicians with a DJ, mm-hmm. f- female DJ, Allison, DJ Allison. She was phenomenal. Shout out to Allison. That was my first time ever working with a DJ. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is, it was such a different vibe right different feel because now my experience in the wedding industry or the event industry we'll call it uh it's more than just you know wedding yeah yeah yeah. you know corporate events holiday parties so i will call the event industry Mm -hmm. um now i'm not just one of 12 13 14 musicians on stage who who probably is sitting in the corner of the stage next to the drummer set up behind the tube amp of the guitar player right no one can really see me mm-hmm. no one can really hear me because they don't have enough microphones or enough inputs to give me right i don't have any in-ears or monitors to hear anything so i i gotta i have to now depend on the sound of the room mm-hmm. the bass player and the drummer i'm sitting next to 
and hope that I'm playing in time. Right. From that aspect, I as a percussionist playing in a band, not every single song is going to require me playing congas or timbales. Mm-hmm. So I've always as, liked to think you were like the color on top of that's how I view being a party percussionist. Yeah, whether like I'm if, playing it, whether I'm with the band or with them, when I'm with the DJ, mm-hmm. being a percussionist is exactly that. It's adding color. Like if you're if you're playing with a drum set player, then you don't need to cover the drum set part, but you right. can color it up with exactly pretty jingly and stuff. That... I always associate that because if you ever see a percussionist with percussion instruments, mm. the percussion instruments are always very very colorful visually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That visual aspect is how I view how I play the music and how I add the color to any ensemble or group or artist I'm playing with. Right. Um, but the same as I think now when I'm playing with the DJ as well. So fast forward to where I am now, I work for this amazing company, uh, elegant music group. It's a full scale entertainment company based out of North Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, as a party percussionist. Also they have the opportunity to work in their corporate office as well as their operations manager. Right on. I'm the guy in charge of all the equipment and vehicles that have to go to and from all of our events every weekend. It's a, a no, different sort of performance, but it, no, is... no, no pressure whatsoever. But uh, yeah, right. It's a you know, it's a tough job. But uh, yeah, very, very lucky to be with this amazing company. Um, if you want to check out videos of me, actually on social media, follow me on Instagram at emg underscore bones. That's b o n e z. EMG underscore bones. I, I always put up a lot of clips, uh, photos, videos of me when I'm lucky enough to get content when I'm playing these events. Cause you know, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to show up to a, to an event and set up my own camera to take videos. Of me. I usually ask the event staff, Hey, if you have any, if you have a chance, take mm-hmm. some shots, me, I'd like to see how I, you know, how, how I sound or how I look tonight. Mm-hmm. The good. I'll post them on, you know, social. So, but yeah, but that's now primarily what I do. I, I don't teach anymore. I haven't accompanied dance classes in a long time, but now I work full time for an event entertainment company, and I'm party percussionist extraordinaire on the weekends where I bring the party everywhere I go. <laughs> what? What is there a bucket list? Musical bucket list that you have stuff that you you haven't done yet that you want to? I would love to play percussion for a national act. Okay. I would, lo- I would love to play percussion for Justin Timberlake or Bruno Mars. Sure. Those are two names that pop up right off the bat. I would love to the play major for leagues San- for Santana. Sure. Okay. Oh my God. Love to be on stage with them. I would love to be in that kind of situation because doing the original band thing, we never, I never did the original band tour. You know, yeah, true. I mean, we, you and I, Joe, we've gotten to perform shows with national acts before. We've been on stage, you know, mm-hmm. in those at those shows, but never at the level of like a Timberlake or a uh, right. That's the Santana. major leagues. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that. That's a bucket list thing for me. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be upset about it, right? You know, but there should always be something. But I would love to strive to I achieve. Would love to to be a member of like a band like that like timberlake and bruno mars are two names that really stick out i could see it happen you know you, you present yourself well i mean also i wouldn't mind maybe jamming out with uh with pitbull because uh one of my i could see that <laughs> my one of my favorite wedding songs is fireball by pitbull i actually did a percussion cover to mm-hmm. that song 
which can't be found on social media, unfortunately, because, uh, you know, c- copyright laws. Right, and shit. Okay. Right. But you will, you can find a clip of it on my, uh, on my Instagram page at EMG bones. Again, if you want to check that out, I could hit me, a, send me a DM. I'll send you the whole video. You can check it right out. On, right on. Uh, it would go without, it should go without saying that you are one of my favorite people in the whole world and have been for a long time still can't figure out why all those girls liked you so much in high school dude i'm so i can't figure it out either trust me but uh you're my best bud and we got we got to do some incredible things with music over the years and i hope we continue to get to do some incredible things with music over the years i agree uh, I love that man, and you know what? You're you're my best bud, bro. You know, I felt almost kind of weird going in here, and you interview me. I'm like, dude, you've been with me. It was a little hard not to be like, dude, it. I know all this. I know, but you know, being that I want to be the person listening to this, learning about you for the first time, I figured right. I'm gonna play along. But uh, I wish nothing but continued success and happiness in your career. And I thank you uh it's you're one of those guys where i think whatever you set your mind to do you're going to be great at it and uh i would love to see you act in something i would love I, to well i, I, just, I think, aren't you working on a script or something joe you i got about 10 then... i got about 10 scripts i've been working on for the past <laughs> 25 years or so but yeah there's a you got the charisma you got that star factor thing i think you've had it since you were like uh the biggest set of balls i think i've ever seen on a person was you contributing to the chance at a football game with the marching band while there were four bass drummers and your brothers in that bass drum line Mm -hmm. mercilessly ridiculing you Mm -hmm. sort of screaming at you to stop and dork you you didn't you didn't Mm -hmm. let up and that's a big moment that lives with me of like just a loud and proud be be your own mm-hmm. self that sticks with me a lot thank you man i'm um I'm, I'm, it makes me feel good to hear you say that man I'm, I'm glad that i that i had that lasting impression on you too man that I mean that does mean a lot i was at those football games oh i know you sure you weren't one of those guys throwing the candy at me from the, uh, the I didn't want to be. I don't think I was. <laughs> but I watched it go down and I I kind of always remember going, that is a guy with some guts mm-hmm. because it was cool to hate it. It wasn't so cool to be like leading the cheer. Right, right. You know. That was that was that was big. And that that really was probably the time the, the the second that I thought back to when you asked me to be in the band, I was like, finally, like, yeah, it was because you, you were bringing something different already in terms of the the instrument choices you brought into the band. So we had like this very original thing that nobody else had and nobody else seemed to jump onto like a lot of a lot of good ideas end up getting spun out 15,000 times until it's mm-hmm. awful. Right. Thankfully, we, we were around a scene where they didn't do that. So, like, you didn't come out with the Kungas and then 15 other lo- local bands 
needed to have congas in their set. Right. You know what I mean? They didn't right. dip from the pots. Mm-hmm. And the and the fact that you were so uh, comfortable being uh, working a crowd. Dude, I, I still see videos of me working the crowd back when we were playing together, and I was like, holy shit, man, I was so loud. <laughs> right. you, you can, you know, hate on yourself, but that stuff all worked, all worked all the time, and I, I, I think added an, a level of energy to the, the band that wouldn't have been there if you hadn't been on yeah. that right side of the stage doing your thing. Yeah, man, I I am thankful for all the opportunities I've had, and this has been uh, an amazing career. And I really, I'm very happy with where I'm at, you know, and what I've what I've seen, what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, j- just uh, just last week, I uh, I have one friend, my good friend, uh, Mr. John Grill, mm-hmm. uh, another friend of mine from the Fourth Wall Pop Network, also hosts mm-hmm. a couple shows over there, band director uh, at a high school. And he uh, had asked me to come, come help adjudicate his um, the, the auditions and stuff. And I, I said only one person could pull me out of retirement, and that was <laughs> and he did. And I, I go, and it's really cool even to be back in that environment. I mean, again, our background, yeah, and how we met came from the marching activity. Mm-hmm. And I stepped foot in the bedroom, and I just stopped and looked around. <laughs> and I, I took it all in. I was like, I have not been in a high school band room in years. Mm-hmm. It's been almost five years, and I haven't. And then all the kids show up, and they're all everyone's playing drums, and I was, and it's the loud wall of. Noise. Oh yeah, like John was talking to me, I just kind of stopped and just like looked around and smiled, and I'm like, "This is great." There, there's you know, a life to that room. That that's what I love about my experiences is like, even though there's certain things that I certain aspects that I don't do anymore, mm-hmm. I feel like I could hop back into it, and it's as if I never stopped. Yeah, you know, like I think if that's I, like if I got a call today to sub for an accompanist for a dance class, mm-hmm. I'd be there in a heartbeat. I would fucking hop in there and act like I was just doing this yesterday. Right. You know, I think that's something to be said about loving something that you do. Yeah, because it's it's never really an imposition. I don't care if I'm performing for two people or for two thousand people. As long mm-hmm. as I'm performing, right, I'm happy. Do you have anything you need to you want to plug? Well, so, uh, this I... this comes out between now and the twenty fourth of December. Mm-hmm. So I've I've made some mistakes by having people plug stuff early, and then it's it's gone by already. Gotcha. So. Well, yeah, I mean, well, definitely. Uh, as I mentioned, I I do run a podcast network called the Fourth Wall Pop Network. Uh, it's a it's a network that has multiple shows. There is something for everyone found on the network. Everything from sports, film. Uh, geek culture, professional wrestling, whatever you whatever you could think of, we have it. We have lifestyles podcasts, pop culture podcasts, found on all major podcast platforms: Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora. You name it, we're on it. Uh, check us out on social media at Fourth Wall Pop on Twitter and on Instagram. As I mentioned earlier, please check me out on Instagram at emg underscore bones. That's b o n e z. Definitely check out some of my, uh, my my clips from uh from some of my gigs. Let me know what you think, and uh, if you check out my network, let me know what you likes. You know, hit, leave us some comments, tell your friends, like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Um, nice. Aside from that, make sure you listen to the rest of these shows here on this awesome series that my good friend Joe 
Joe Shrek is hosting. Uh, it's a fantastic the plug concept. inside the plug. That's right. I respect that. the concept of interviewing different drummers and percussionists of different walks of life. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the series as well. And Joe, it's honestly great that I'm really happy that you had me on. I to, uh, needed to, to have you on. Your perspective is is big and important. And I wanted I was I feel lucky that I got to, to uh, you know, be involved in it or you know see it you were there for but, a big uh party. i want anybody that listens to this or finds this stuff to be like that's a thing i can do or that's a thing i can look into mm-hmm. and everybody that i've talked to sort of has a different route they sort of start with the same humble beginning of flutophone or recorder or you know snare drum but from that there's just an incredible story that happens and i think no matter what industry or what you're doing the possibilities are endless don't pass up opportunities when, when they when they are at your footstep mm-hmm. not at your door your footstep your doorstep right you know opportunity shows up you take it unless there's absolutely any ridiculous reason why you can't don't pass up opportunities because you never know what could be absolutely right it's great advice would that that would be i guess advice you would give any young anybody young anybody. entertainer coming through mm-hmm. it's, yeah it's great advice thanks man no joe thank you man seriously this is this has been great you really got me thinking all got me all in the nostalgic i really love the long form conversation thing Going back really okay. love it yeah thanks man i thank appreciate you, man. it and have a happy holidays everybody yes